Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you ask me to design the worst possible track for the current aerodynamic regulations, I would just more or less draw Mexico and say, here you go. This is it. It was a hot and heavy weekend for Mercedes as the F1 paddock hit Mexico City for the second part of a long triple header. In another mixed weekend for the boys and girls from Brackley, we're here to debrief Merck's performance from pit stops and strategy to tire doubters and cheeky fastest laps. Join me, Ben Tinsley, as we discuss the Mexican Grand Prix on this episode of the Silver Arrows podcast. And to help us do all that, we have Matt Trumpets of Mist Apex fame. Matt, how are you doing? I'm actually doing great. We have loads to talk about this weekend, and some of it is even tires. Uh, and I'm also very pleased to be welcoming former Mercedes strategist and ex-head of strategy at Haas, Mike Colfield, back onto the show. Mike, how are you doing? Yeah, no, really good, thank you. Yeah, um, starting to get to the end of this triple header, so it's been a busy few weeks, but yeah, um, it's been an interesting, well, I'd say it's been an interesting few weeks. This last race was interesting, the race before, not so much, but yeah, um, plodding on through to the end of this triple header, really. Yeah, those pesky triple headers, they are uh, pretty difficult, I imagine. Um, So before we obviously talk about the Mexican Grand Prix, uh, there was a bit of breaking news out of Mercedes today um, in the form of Chief Technical Officer Mike Elliott, ultimately responsible, obviously, for the W13 and W14, is due to leave his post with immediate effect. Um, I'm sure there'll be some Mercedes fans out there on on Twitter and and such that are celebrating this departure. But Mike, as someone who's obviously had experience working with Mike for a couple of years, would you say that's very, very unfair? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I worked with him, I think he joined in 2012. So I'd have had probably about three and a half, four years working working with him. Um, At that point, he was the head of aero uh, um, at Mercedes so I wouldn't have worked directly for him, but obviously he's still a head of department, so still quite involved with everything we do. At that point, I was a strategist, so you're doing quite a lot of competitor analysis work, and he was always keen to kind of get our opinions on how what other people are doing, um, what the performance of our car is, what the performance of other cars was, and and it generally he was a he was a knowledgeable and and likable guy to work with. I, I really had no no problems with him whatsoever i thought he did um, a very good job while i was there especially as the head of aero in the, those years and you got to remember as well he came in in 2012 when mercedes was really struggling at that point um and obviously the the engine rule changes were a big part of the 2014 success but it wasn't the only success part of it there was other teams had mercedes engines that year so the aerodynamics and all the other parts of the car had a huge part in, in to play the success. And he was one of the people that Ross brought in, which really did make a, a good impact and a, um, a successful team. And as you saw, he rose through the ranks and then became technical director. 
and unfortunately didn't quite work out in, in a certain way. It's a team sport. I don't think you can always lay the blame directly at one person. Um, and I don't, and obviously Mercedes were trying quite careful to say they weren't going to blame him by switching over to James, back to James Allison. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's disappointing, I think, to, to a certain extent. I think he, he was a decent guy. And like I said, I think a lot of the success Mercedes have had over the past um, 10 years is, is partly down to him. What do you reckon, Matt? Well, uh, my thoughts on this are, are perhaps a little bit different, um, coming at it from a performance point of view. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was a decision taken more by uh, Mike himself rather than Mercedes pushing him out the door. I mean, here you have uh, a man who has contributed immensely to the success of this team for well over a decade. He was given essentially the top job. He's reached the zenith of his career, and it all kind of goes horribly wrong in slow motion. And then he gets, uh, I guess, a lateral move. And, you know, I think that 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 can cause a lot of reflection and, and reevaluation. But fundamentally, if he had the ambition to be that person at Mercedes, well, that's not going to go away. But it's also not something that's it's not a door that's necessarily open to him there anymore. And so then now you're looking at the success of, say, James Vowles at Mercedes, and you think to yourself, I know I can do this job. And I would say uh, for absolutely, I would not blame him solely. I would blame, uh, honestly, Mercedes and, and their simulation tools, which eventually would come under his purview. But... I think I think this was I think Mercedes would have kept him around as long as he wanted to stay. That's that's a guess on my part. I've not talked to him, obviously, because like I don't even know him. But uh, Mike, you seem like you want to get in on this. You you have a thought there? I see that. Uh, no, I just want to say that. Yeah, I, I kind of I think I agree with what you're saying. Um, and yeah, no, I do agree. I I, I think it, whenever you move these these sideways steps or you've been out of kind of what is a top job it's then kind of difficult to stick around if especially if that was your target it's it's i, I can almost kind of class it as it's the ferrari playbook they often move people in sideways directions because either they don't want them there anymore but they can't fire them because of italian law um and but mercedes probably did want to keep mike around but obviously mike himself um yeah he he wants to do bigger things um it'd be interesting to see where he ends up i i don't think he'll be finished in f1 i've i've got a feeling he's probably already lining up some potential avenues going down the line um so yeah I, i'd expect to see him back in the in the grid uh, definitely in the whatever his contract allows him to be um, aspect. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's probably enough content there to um, run a whole episode on on Mike Elliott and his role at Mercedes, but that, that's obviously for another day. Um, if we just turn our attention then to, to Mexico and the, the weekend just gone by the Grand Prix, Matt, I wonder if you could just talk to us briefly about um, your expectations before the weekend and then perhaps your expectations before the race, having seen FP1, FP2 and FP3. Uh, well, it- Okay, so this is an interesting question. Uh, My expectations were that it was going to be a static and fairly boring race. And uh, aside from the excitement at turn one, which often happens due to the long run down to the first corner, um, I think I was more or less being proved right. I, I think from a strategic point of view, we did have the interest after the race that, 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 um, Max had confirmed they were going to go two-stop versus the Ferrari one-stop. But the thing that I had been saying, and, and I suspect uh, Mike will agree with me here, is that this was really always going to come down to the track temperatures because we saw wildly varying performances with very small swings in temperature, and perhaps that was altitude-related. As far as Mercedes was concerned, I didn't have any super great hopes for them um, and, and not to cast any shade. 
but they always tend to do very terribly at Mexico because they always get the cooling slightly wrong and their cars catch on fire or have to be driven at three miles an hour so they don't overheat. So, you know, to, to even finish in the top 10 for them in Mexico most years, once their engine advantage, advantage disappeared, was 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 quite the feat. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that one. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I remember back in, I can't remember what year exactly it was, now 18, I think, 18 or 19, where yeah, Mercedes were, were almost having the same issues with uh, which I was at Haas at the time. And I remember listening to radio comments and their drivers were very much saying the same as our drivers, but the grip was just nowhere. And like basically the issue you have at Mexico often was that its tire surfaces just overheat massively because you have low so little downforce and then it just you get into a bit of a spiral that that causes lower grip and you then kind of just keep on getting into that spiral that you have no grip so you slide the tires more and you overheat more and you get and it just it's it's a you can't get out of it basically so i think that's maybe one thing to say is a positive on their calf this year but they've actually started to get to a point where they're not having the similar issues that they used to have in the past. Um, and they're much able to get a kind of the performance out of the car. As Matt said, for, um, it was, I mean, qualifying for me was the biggest surprise in terms of that Ferrari pace in the, for that one lap because they didn't match it before and they didn't match it after. They just hit that sweet spot. And I think it was kind of a, like a very much that so tight tire window that you just, couldn't quite get into and Mercedes couldn't get, quite get into but again it's one of those ones that if those same conditions are possibly carried forward into the race day then it's they'd probably struggle in the race because they've got the peak grip on that one lap but for that one that that race situation um it would have been a struggle but in terms of expectations going into it I, I'm the same I, I didn't expect a lot from Mercedes I thought the practice and quality performances were were average at best in in terms of what they were getting. I thought comfortably, obviously the Red Bulls were faster. I thought they were matching Ferrari based on the, like kind of practice sessions, but obviously that quality one lap pace, they were matching Ferrari on that until that quality lap pace. And then McLaren were actually quicker than them, but Norris obviously had the disaster of qualifying and um, yeah, Piastri just, um, yeah, again, it's just, just slightly out of it, but... I was expecting maybe a fifth, sixth kind of thing, maybe scraping a third on the podium um, in, into the race. So I think obviously what happened in the race was a, a nice surprise from from that aspect. Yeah, and obviously we'll we'll go into the race in, in more detail shortly. I think what you just said about the tyres was really interesting because if you look at Q1 and Q3, Mercedes looked considerably off the pace, but obviously in, in Q2, uh, I think Lewis topped the charts, didn't he? So do you think that was down to sort of tyre temperatures and just getting that car in that perfect window? Yeah, um, I'd definitely say it's very much a circuit where it is that. It's just getting that absolute prep right. It's getting that kind of outlap exactly right. Um, again, there could be little variations in the track temp at that point. Um we obviously saw again the whole queuing at the end of the pit lane and them um, trying to get your gaps. So, so and it, it all makes a difference. So potentially, if you're sat at the kind of the end of the pit lane, your tyres are cooling down, coming out the blankets. I mean, they come out the blankets at seventy degrees. Of, I think it is now, and um, yeah. So you will need to get some tyre temperature in because you want to be running them about 100, 110 on on that quality lap. So sitting in the pit lane after they've been at seventy, you potentially start that out lap then at. 55 60 by that point and yeah and then again you've got that kind of case of over the lap the temperature is going to grow you just kind of get try to get that balance you've got the stadium section at the end so actually you need to kind of get it perfect but you're not overheating the tires by the end of the lap and taking too much out of the beginning lap so it, it's it is really a very technical skill to get and sometimes again with these kind of queuing and traffic and stuff the drivers can't really do much about it they'll just arrive and and go oh okay i feel i've got grip or i feel i have no grip and they they try and do what they want the engineers try and give them a target to get to but they're also giving them traffic they're also giving them the gap to the car ahead they're also giving them all these aspects of it so it's it's yeah it's very much that kind of case for if you get it in that correct window when you can just keep that tire alive all the way through the lap it's going to be spot on. You're going to get extra performance out of it. And there is variance between the tires as well in like in the tire sets. Not a huge amount, but you can, the same set, two sets of mediums, for example, two sets of softs, 
will give you slightly different grips. So again, they, they're all very, very slightly different in that respect. Matt, I can see you're bursting with things to say after that. Well, uh, one thing that I really do love is that even though we always sort of talk about a tire window, like an operating window where the tires are at their best, inside of that window is a much smaller narrower window where they have really amazing performance. And the, the best example of this I can think of really was uh, Lewis's uh, magnificent qualifying in Singapore, where I was at the time I was tracking uh, performance improvement uh, in terms of lap time percentage between Q3 and qualifying because uh, it had been a stable regulation set. And I felt like every week we, we saw like sort of roughly the same percentage improvement team by team, like, you know, Mercedes would improve a lot. You know, another team would, Alpha Tower, would barely improve at all. Uh, they were Toro Rosso back then, but whatever. And, and I had this graph of like each race and his percent improvement. And, and most of the top teams tend to come in around 1.6 to 1.8%. So if you look at their Q3 time and you subtract like 1.6%, uh, percent from that, you're, you're going to be around their qualifying time. It's not a perfect thing, but it, when they were too close, when they were very close together, it made it easy for me to gauge, oh, Ferrari's a 10th behind, but they tend to, you know, they tend to do worse in qualifying, you know, so Red Bull will probably step over them there. Enough said. Lewis's time was like 2.4% better than his Q3 time. It was, it was, it was an unbelievable improvement relative to anything I had seen. And so whenever I see a, a, a lap like that, um, you know, it's because you've gotten, you found that extra sweet spot of the tire and you've been able to maintain it. And I know Mike talked about the um, difficulties of maintaining the tire temperature. Um, I, I measured like when Max did his slow procession out into the pit lane, he gave Perez almost, it was like between 20, about 25, 30 seconds. He held everybody else up behind him. And that's, that's very significant um, because obviously you can only go so much faster to try and put energy back into the tires before you catch the person next to you. And what I noticed at the Circuit of the Americas is that some teams are now asking their drivers to get six or eight seconds took our ahead of them. I don't think it's that bad in Mexico because the air is thinner. But once you get inside what your engineer recommends, you're going to start to suffer time-wise in the slow sections, but also because you're losing even more downforce from the turbulent air, you're also putting more stress on the tires and overheating them and you're losing performance that way. So once again, you get into the spiral and just the difficulty, as I think Alex Alvin talked about, it, it was just like it was hard to keep the tires in the right place across that whole lap, except when the track was at the magic temperature where it wasn't and I could just drive the thing really fast. Brilliant. OK, so at the end of qualifying, uh, the upshot was Lewis was P6 and George was P8. to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Heading into the Sunday, both started on the medium tyre. 
Mike, what was the strategy plan there, do you think? Was it a one-stop from the start? Yeah, definitely. Um, Mexico is very much a, a one-stop race, really, unless you've got, a, for some reason, a huge performance advantage like Verstappen did, basically, and, and to get that overtake there. You saw the amount of trains going down there. You saw cars who are significantly slower just stuck in, in traffic behind cars going out straight just because it's just so difficult to overtake. It's because it's, it's a really long straight and you have like no downforce on the car. So you think it'd be easy, but that last corner onto the straight is so critical. And if you're following a car, if you're following, you need to be basically within half a second of a car to make that overtake work. But if you're within half a second of a car, you can't get that last corner correct, which makes the overtaking that much difficult unless you have this massive tire offset or massive, massive performance gain of the car. So you saw when the new the cars put on the new tires, they're able to just come round, come follow very easily through that corner because the car in front's struggling with tire grip, you're not struggling, you can make the overtake. But other than that, you're going to struggle to overtake. So automatically that pushes it towards a one-stop race. The people doing two-stop races, if if you're going to do a two-stop race, at some point you're going to be stuck in traffic. And okay, you'll you'll potentially have a bit of a tire offset like we saw, but it won't be the quite the definitions that we saw when the people made the early stops and came through. You, you're looking at much less in in that respect, and potentially not enough. So obviously, after the red flag, we saw cars who some cars didn't change their tires on on Sunday, and they kept the same tires on before purely because they didn't have they only had one set of hards going into the race and they didn't want to carry a set of mediums for the 37 laps after the restart so they fitted the same set of hards again so they were looking at 50 odd laps by the end of the race on that tire but at the same time we've seen these cars still pretty stable that hard tire is a robust tire it could probably do the whole race i'm not sure of the exact numbers i don't i don't get the prelly wear figures but i'm not i'm, I'm not surprised about that hard tire lasting in in that respect but yeah going into it starting on the medium tire it you're going to target a one-stop race really because otherwise you're going to put yourself in problems with traffic you put yourself in traffic you're going to lose time because it's difficult to overtake you lose tire performance when you're in traffic so best case scenario sometimes in these ones if you if you're a similar pace and you do a two versus one you end up back to where you were anyway and you're kind of fighting for that last position you're not really gaining anything whereas if you're on a one-stop you're kind of dictating your positioning as such um yeah I, I think that's the only other thing to really mention is the soft tire just wasn't usable on on this weekend so you saw the majority of the grid starting on the medium tire or some cars doing that offset strategy on the on the hard um and yeah, and that and that was choice. But other than the Red Bull and looking at the people, obviously Norris started on the soft and he was targeting a two stop. But again, he's one of those ones where he's out of position and you're gonna try and do something that a little bit different. If you try and do the same, you get into that problem which I talked about, he's gonna struggle to overtake. So you need that offset to try and make that overtake work. And then Sonoda obviously had the damage from the collision, which made him stop early. Everyone else who made the earlier stops were still around about that one stop window. So I think everyone basically went into this race with a one-stop in mind, um, apart from Verstappen, who obviously just has the pace to want to try and do something a little bit different because he's a bit bored, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you say there, obviously, Red Bull were, were way ahead. Um, Matt, do you have something you want to add? Well, yeah, because it it seems to me that they were that he was particularly unhappy on that first set of tires. I don't know if they were just a duff set of tires or if uh, the other thing I want to point out here is the track temperature was the hottest it had been all weekend. It was up to almost 48C at the start. It was harder than anyone had seen and I think that changed his operating condition. I think I think Red Bull genuinely were struggling a bit and we know from um uh, it was a uh, it was Pierre Gasly talking about how Alpha Tauri and Honda had, they had a very specific setup they knew worked incredibly well at Mexico, which is why they were always very good there. But it may be that in those hotter track temperatures, it was, it was putting Max in a difficult place in terms of managing his tires. But they realized they had the overall performance to make a two-stop work. You get the undercut, everyone pits out of your way. 
and then you come back with with a strong tire at the end with the gaps to the slower cars being big enough that you're you're really only chasing down you're chasing down people who are at this point mostly running in traffic their cars are on the edge of their cooling capacity their brakes and tires are on the edge of their cooling capacity and you're coming at them with a fresh set of tires and a, a nice vehicle performance where it really mattered most which is out of the last corner down the straight and into the first turn which is where i saw which is where you saw ricardo constantly making room on people well, you can easily flip-flop that and say, well, this is also where they're, go- they're going to have that ability, that extra traction coming out of the last turn to get inside that magic half second and make those DRS passes work before they overheat the cars. I think Joe ran a 50 laps on his hards, but I think he put them back on at the restart. But the restart, I think, was crucial because it gave Ferrari a chance to get their strategy wrong twice in okay, one yeah. race. Let's, let's actually dig in onto that then, Matt, because um, on the commentary here in the UK, at least, and I can see Mike just looking exasperated there, but um, <laughs> Mercedes had a pretty strong undercut for, for George and Lewis, I think on lap 25 and lap 27. There were a lot of questions about Ferrari and, and why they didn't react. Do we know why they didn't react? My my absolute take is only coming from their radio, but they they said that when they talked to um when they talked to to Leclerc, they're like, "You're still making these lap times, okay? We're on for what we calculate to be the optimal one stop strategy. This gave them the biggest tire offset and the best chance to pass anyone they needed to pass, which was really only going to be uh, Verstappen the way." The, the way things were shaking out. But um, I do disagree a little bit. I, I was surprised that Russell um, got pitted when he did. He complained about it too. Yeah, he wasn't very happy, was he? But it's because it goes back to what Mike mentioned earlier with Norris having started on the softs, the undercut was actually quite powerful for him. And he was, he was on the verge of being in Russell's pit window. And I think Russell didn't, you know, because there was a little back and forth with the engineer. I think Russell didn't realize Norris had already pitted. Yeah. Um, and thought he had, it was extending that first stint. Sorry, Matt. Um, yeah, it's, I agree. Like with the, the Ferrari one, was, it's obviously Leclerc makes perfect sense because he managed to make his stop, come out in front of Lewis, makes everything. You want to optimize that because, yeah. Verstappen's on a two-stop. You want to put yourself on the most optimal one-stop to give yourself that chance because um, there is that opportunity that potentially there's an opportune safety car after Verstappen's made his second stop for you potentially get that stop in there and you gain a position. The science one doesn't really make much sense to me because you're just throwing away that position against away to Lewis and you're then just basically moving into a bit of no man's land. You're not really offsetting, you're offsetting yourself a little bit, but as we saw, you're not offsetting enough to kind of get that overtake on it. So the signs one was a, was a strange one for me. The Leclerc one makes perfect sense. As with Russell, yeah, we heard that they kind of, they were covering off Norris. But for me, I, what I didn't understand on that respect is that Norris would definitely have had to stop again and Mercedes are on a one-stop. So I don't really understand the why they needed to cover off Norris. Norris wasn't going to the end from stopping on lap um, 11 or whatever he stopped on. It's He was going to make another stop. So I don't really understand why they did have to cover him off at that point. Um, it, it, so it did seem a bit of a strange call to stop to stop Russell then because he would because he was still pulling away from that group but when they actually stopped him he came into that kind of traffic with Albon I think um I can't remember who else was but it was like two or three cars which he obviously came through easy enough but it just seemed a bit unnecessary from my respect so I I think he could have probably pushed through because obviously Norris still had to come through those cars regardless anyway and like I said Norris would have had to stop I mean obviously hindsight's a beautiful thing if Russell comes out behind Norris and you have the red flag then then obviously he loses the position but you obviously don't believe that's going to happen at that point in time for a standard race Norris is going to make a second stop at some point so I don't really see why they needed to cover him off yeah that's that's really interesting and obviously as you say the red flag did come along which did reset the the race pretty much Um, and it offered us something amazing in terms of 
a, a pretty impressive stint from Hamilton on those those mediums to to bring home P two. I don't know which one of you would rather take that, but I'm I'm sure you're going to enjoy talking about it. You can say this, Mark. Go on. Well, it was a surprise because you wouldn't think the mediums would last that long with that much performance. But we had been hearing that, you know, the the physical degradation of the tire wasn't really much of an issue at the track. And I think this is really where I have to hand it to the Mercedes engineers. They weren't the only ones to put the mediums on, but it seemed a bold gambit if I can borrow a phrase from whoever said it. But the fact is the temperatures had dropped. The cars were, the cars were light, but because they'd also run some safety car laps, most people I don't think were too worried about fuel at that point. And, and you could see maybe it was the weather or the clouds coming in, but they absolutely nailed that they weren't going to have any trouble with those tires to the end of the race given the starting conditions there and that the mediums as at the start offered the maximum chance of making places. Cause let's remember it was once again, a standing start that we went for here, not a rolling start. And we have a great offset. We could just compare Lewis's performance to Leclerc and, you know, it took him a bit longer to get round him than he probably wanted. But at the end of the day, he got the job done and Ferrari uh, for both cars were, were essentially unable to get their tires working after the red flag. And I think that was true for most of the people on the hard tire. It was it was a struggle from that point on. Yeah, you even um, saw that the hard tire at the beginning of the race. So the kind of the few cars who started out, I think Albon was one of them. Ocon was another one. And you notice in that early part of the race that the hard tire was noti- noticeably offset to the, the cars on the on the on the medium. And it'll be the same kind of instance for the for the um the, for the red flag restart, because you have to go through that period, the blanket's gotta come off with two minutes to go. Um you you sit there in the pit lane, you then have to trundle around with a formation lap, then you sit on the grid. And again, it's back to this temperature thing that you all lose temperature. And as Matt makes the point that the track temp's actually gone down at this point, and you, you're like we're getting uh, the ambient temp's gone down, so it's difficult to kind of start them in. And then you got to remember the majority of people here who fitted this hard, it was actually used hard, as in they'd already it was the same hard they had pre red flag. And I think it was only Sonoda who had a second set of hards, and and possibly Verstappen as well, who had two sets of hards who, who were able to fit he did. a new hard at the, at the restart. So again, taking that little bit of the that peak grip off that hard tire, and for that restart is um yeah it just makes it difficult. And then you go back to the same conversation we've had. But if you just lose in that little bit of grip at that first bit, in with Mexico with the such low downforce, you just slide in it, and then you just slide it, and then you just struggle to get any temperature in that tire. And then from what Mercedes' point of view is, yeah, they've done the exact right thing, and a few cars did it with that medium because. Many many cars. It was a choice of a used hard, and if you'd fit the hard for a long, with a knowing that it's a standing start restart, that's a disadvantage. So it's fitting a medium, knowing it's a fairly long stint. But the track temps coming down, the fuel loads coming down, and Mercedes have got a really good plan in place here. You you know you've literally got the start advantage. Okay, we didn't it didn't get past them um, Leclerc on that restart, but you know you've got our advantage for that first few laps, and he did it, and he got past him. Then all you have to do is build a gap. And then once you've got a gap of kind of four or five seconds, you can then just manage. You just need to match what the player's doing. And I'm pretty sure, sure that was what the kind of conversation was to Lewis over that period. It's like, right, let, we don't need to overstress. We're not going to catch Verstappen. But just, right, we just need to match the player. So we don't want to take anything out of the tires we don't need to. It is still a long stint, but just do what you need to do. Keep that gap. And that's exactly what they do. So... And they're keeping the tires because it's that slightly softer compound as well. You can manage it, but keeps that temperature in and helps it that little bit more. Whereas in the hard tire, the hard tire is still quite a long stint for, for, for those guys as well. I know it can last it, but they have to do a slightly different type of management, but they don't want to slide it too much. So they're, they're trying to manage it to prevent the sliding from the overheating and and that kind of, so it's as, as Matt said, it wasn't physical wear here. It wasn't kind of, tires running out of rubber it was trying to keep the tires in that kind of operating window which was the management required um and yeah and um, mercedes did a cracking job it just 
oh, Lewis did a cracking job in just terms of that kind of got that gap and just managed it. And I'm pretty sure I just kind of knew where he was gaining, just listened to what the player's lap time was, knows how to match it. And then you, you can just, and that's where he's in his element as well. He, when you're giving him a lap time, which is sustainable, he can he can do that all day long. He could still probably be driving now and he'd still be setting those similar lap times <laughs> if, he, if he needed to. Exactly. And I think Mercedes do need a lot of credit for being brave and going with that strategy, especially given what happened um, in America the week before, there was a lot of criticism, not just about the the plank and the mistake there, but also about the strategy and perhaps pitting Lewis a bit too late and realising that too late. Let's just talk a little bit then about the art of tyre whispering, which is a, is a fun one. I can see Matt's beaming at that idea. Um, we've had a question from Anthony on Twitter who just says that this was a great race for the tyre whisperers. What is the art of tyre whispering? Is this something that we can expect all drivers to improve on as they progress in their careers? Are certain driving styles better suited? Well, in an ideal world, yes, you can expect drivers to make progress as they have more experience and as they work with more experienced teammates. In the real world, no, not every driver gets better at this. Some drivers are bad at it and they're just bad at it and they don't ever get any better. Some of it is down to your car being kind to the tires, which is downforce levels, which is the balance of the car, which is how it's the suspension settings the engineers like to run. There's so many things that go into it. I I like and, and it's little things, too. But mainly. It's this idea, uh, and I've borrowed this uh, from Brad, but it's great. It's this idea that if you think of a tire, it has a maximum level of grip, and that maximum level of grip, we'll just call it 100%. And that you can only ever, you can use that in a straight line braking, and if you go over it, then you lock up, put flat spots on the tire. But if you're turning and braking at the same time, or you're turning and accelerating at the same time, now you're splitting that into two different percents, the percent that's being used to grip for the turn and the percent that's being used for grip to slow the car down. And anytime you exceed that 100%, you slide the car. And when you slide the car, you heat the tires up and you don't just heat the surface up. You heat, well, what's called the bulk of the tire, the structure of the tire, the cords that are intertwined left and right to, to, to uh, keep it strong laterally, which when they finally figure out how to do that, that's why they change from cross-ply tires to slick tires, because it's not because slick tires were never better. They were always better in a certain way, but they became good at the turns once they mastered how to construct the tires like that. They were, became better than the cross-ply tires through the turns, and the time gain made it worth putting slick tires on for the first time. That was in the 70s, I think, 71 or 72. Anyway, I'm taking you down a very long road, but it's really all about managing the slip angles of your tire. So it's about corner entry, being very smooth on corner entry, not taking too much speed in. And it's also about how delicate I can be under traction. We heard Ferraris talk about improving their tire wear by changing their energy level, their energy, uh, their ERS deployment to better manage the traction zones coming out of turns and that because when you accelerate you're putting energy into that tire and you want to manage that energy throughout all phases of the race so that the tire stays in its optimal operating window and drivers who learn how to do that using all the tools and there are a lot of tools i'm sure mike could tell us but like you have uh low mid uh, you have low a medium and high speed diff, but you also have entry, mid and exit diff as well. You have brake migration, you have brake shapes, you have brake balance, all of which can be adjusted and are often adjusted corner to corner to corner to keep the car rotating optimally. And it's especially a challenge um, with this regulation set uh, when you have slow corners. So I, I think I said to someone, if you ask me to design a track, well, first of all, I could. But if you ask me to design the worst possible track for the current aerodynamic regulations, 
I would just more or less draw Mexico and say, here you go. This is it. Okay, so let's talk uh, a little bit more about that and and George's race. So obviously Lewis is known for for being fantastic at managing his tyres and perhaps George, that's something that he's got a little bit to learn. Ange on Twitter has asked, Mike, if you can take this one, uh, is there anything George can do to improve his performance in the management of his tyres? It's a difficult one to answer this in terms of of what he's up, what he's already doing and what he isn't doing. And I'm sure his engineers are working with him all the time in that respect. I, I kind of feel it's a little bit, I'm going to go a bit contrary. I think it's a bit harsh to actually say that George does struggle with his tyres. I don't think he's potentially as good as Lewis. But then again, Lewis has times where he's, he's also, he can overdrive the car. And you've got to remember in in the race on on Sunday as well, where like we're making that comparison from George to Lewis, was that George couldn't make that overtake on signs, and being in traffic makes a big difference to yeah. to how your tires be flown. So like Lewis got passed in three four laps, I think it was on the there, and then he's in free air. Free air makes a whole lot of difference to how you manage your tires. If you've got a gap, you're not under pressure from behind, you've not got anyone in front of you, you can drive your own race, you can drive what you need to do, like to do the tires. George is obviously trying and trying to get past signs. And every as Matt kind of put in, every time he's making an attempt, every time he's trying to kind of get a different line into a corner, keep the gap close make an overtake, etc. He's just taking that little bit out of his tires, which is why eventually you'll get to the point where the tires will just not give up, I say, but that peak grip's gone. You your grip's back to um 70% or something and then and then you can't do it. Well an interesting thing that that I read um was that he was actually he had run into an issue with brake cooling. His brakes had overheated and that he, he essentially said, by time the brakes cooled, I couldn't get the tires started again. So essentially managing a different problem on the car, this time with brakes, took the tires out of that window. And at that point, he'd worn enough of the tread off. This is another fun thing about tires. He'd worn enough of the tread off that there wasn't enough tread left for him to heat them back up. So he had just simply permanently lost a great chunk of performance. And he's like, basically another lap and Ricardo would have absolutely had me because they were just, they were gone after that, after that issue. And so a lot of times, and perhaps for a lot of drivers, you're like, wait, what happened? Why did they fall off that cliff? That could be simple. Yeah. It could be a tear off and a brake duct. Yeah. And it could be, not quite enough. And, and like you go to the other end of the grid as well. It's like, and this is things I've experienced, and this is how how delicate they are. Is that you can be fighting someone, your tires are okay, and you get a blue flag, and you have to let a car through, and that's it. Your tire temperature's gone. Your tires are worn to a certain point where you just can't get the temperature back in, and you're done. And that's it. You, you, the peak grip's done. You can't. You, you maybe don't go off of the spiral, but you can't attack anymore and 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 that's it's how they are they, they, they're on such a knife edge these operating windows of these tires but it's it's and especially somewhere like mexico as well it's just so difficult to kind of keep them in that bit because they have so many filter things they have to manage like matt said with managing brake cooling so you're having to then potentially go offline so you can't follow in the car behind so you're going off into the dirty part of the track which all sticks to the tires so you then lose grip there and it's it's just all kind of that aspect of it so going back just to quickly to the original question with george i think I think he's doing what he can. I think the engineers, the, the I know the guys there, like the tire guys, I know his race engineer, I know his performance engineer, and they'll be doing whatever they can with him to kind of do data compares with Lewis. They might have slightly different driving styles, so not not the same driving style. It's not necessarily the driving style which does the tire because certain driving styles suit drivers differently. So there might be a little bit about that, but... I wouldn't go to the certain point where to say that George is struggling with tire management as much as Lewis. I think it's just a, a, a consequence of a few few different aspects of it, really. I find that that if we're going to talk about that, I think the Piastri Norris comparison is a much better look at someone who's really just not yet good at managing tires versus someone who's actually gotten quite good at it. But it's also, you know, like you say these things. And and I do too. I I think you know is Russell as good at tires as Lewis? Well, no. But Lewis has a wealth of experience. He's 
ridiculous. He was a ridiculous talent when he came on the scene. He was allowed so much more testing than any modern young driver has had that that needs to yeah, be considered as well. He was still not great at tire management. Like I remember he spent about a season. I don't remember which season it was, but like there was about a season and, and I don't remember who he was paired with either, but I, I recall distinctly there's about a season he spent and then suddenly he was on top of the Pirelli tires and then he was, that was it. He was, he was fine after that. So it is a thing, but we're also talking about such tiny margins here. We're talking about tenths of a percent, hundreds of a percent, making a perceptible difference over 71 laps in an afternoon Grand Prix. And, and so when you say stuff like that, you're not wrong, but you're also you're, you're getting down to almost hard to measure levels of human performance as well. Sure. Go on, Mike. Yeah, and I think there's just one other thing to say on this in terms of like the wealth of experience that Lewis has. And I think that's basically what this sums on. Like, yeah, I think Matt, Matt, Matt kind of summed up the point there that, yeah, Lewis has had years of testing where testing was unlimited or that aspect of it. And it, it all helps. And from my experience coming in later, while well, we're now limited on testing and stuff, the guys coming through from F2, F3 actually are much better tyre managers, not than people like Lewis, but some of your old school kind of F1 drivers because you have to manage in F2. Um, you have to manage in F3 as well. It's still Pirelli tyres. They're still having these kind of sprint races where they're doing long stints and they do pick up a lot of t- t- tips in, in how to do that. Obviously, the cars, though, are very different to the modern F1 cars. And then one further point is actually that the new F1 regulations, so this year and last year, actually requires, again, a different driving style to manage the tyres to what the previous generation of cars does as well because they're getting to a point now that's so heavy that you really have to manage that kind of turning. And Because if you suddenly just put too much yaw onto that car, the car's going, the back end's going, the rear tyres are kind of just going to be slipping all the way. So it's required a new learning of the, this aspect of it, which is why I think kind of Piastri's taking his time to get used to it. It's his first season with these new cars, and it's he's he's done very little of that kind of test of this modern this modern car he did obviously we had the alpine one but that wasn't with the modern one that was with the previous spec car so this is the first year so it's um it's i think he'll get there and like you say norris has had a few seasons of it and russell's the same it's 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 just that kind of tuning and and also when you're fighting when you're battling with other cars in there like which is what kind of george and lewis are mainly doing this year it's difficult to manage your tires when you're also trying to either defend or attack. It's like it's it's one or the other, really. You you kind of you can't basically do good tire management and race at the same time. <laughs> See, now you've got me all excited because, like, really, it's all the parameters. Because we're talking about the cooling, like you can overheat your brakes, you can overheat the power unit, but it's also the energy deployment. Like, if you need that deployment, you can't necessarily save up that much every lap when you're running at a race pace and it's also like your fuel management so often now um i read through the transcripts of team radio and it's like okay it's lap 50 all right great you finished all your lifting coast now you should be good to the end so these drivers when you see them trying to pass each other are managing so many of these other parameters and oftentimes those parameters can wind up being the difference between success or failure in these races and we just you just don't get all that information when you're just watching it on the screen it's like so much of this i get i pick up afterwards yeah thank you guys that's really interesting insight and a, a lot of points there that i certainly hadn't considered about um previous uh, slightly older drivers obviously having more experience with unlimited testing hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, it brings me on to a question from Kibby um, on Twitter. 
obviously we've spoken about drivers and their ability to manage tires mass i think you did talk about the characteristics of the cars and they're just asking what are the specific car characteristics of the w14 that help mercedes with tire whispering if any well, uh, this is an interesting one because I, I have known Mercedes, and I, I know Mike's going to have a grin here because we've had this discussion before. Uh, but I, I knew them back when they munched tires for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was a defining characteristic. They would melt their rear tires, which if you've ever owned a Mercedes road car that was rear-wheel drive, you could probably appreciate how that happened. And coming into this new era, uh, I noticed for the first time uh, last season, uh, especially it was notable at Hungary, it was literally taking them about 10 laps. It was taking them about 10 laps to actually get their tires warm at the start. It was even, I think, maybe in some radio messages, I remember Lewis being told to like manage his lap times beginning of Emola last year. And their new design, um, other, other successes or failures aside, seem to be much kinder on the tires to the point where they were beginning to have the opposite problem, probably because they didn't have the downforce they expected, of making the tires work hard enough to get them fired up rapidly by fired up into the correct window. Whereas you could look at Red Bull and say one thing they have done very well is they've been both kind to their tires, but also have the ability to switch them on very rapidly. So they seem to have performed an inversion here. The suspension they've designed is now much kinder to the tires. And this is why we've seen them be meh a lot of times in qualifying and then come through in the race and do well because they preserve their tires better. They have, even if they switch tires, pit similar laps, they have much better tire performance as the degradation comes onto the other tires. There was even a message about that. Didn't Lewis have that message? Mike, do you remember that? They were like, uh, he was chasing one of them and they, or, and they were like, no, let's wait for the deg to come to us. Yep. We don't need to push now. We're going to wait for that tire deg to come to us because we know we're going to have a window of better performance compared to the Ferrari ahead of us before either of us pet. And, and as to how you achieve that, well, now that's a little different story. Um, and Mike may have some more specific insights, but I suspect it's a combination of your suspension geometry, of your, of your damper settings. And your overall, the balance of the car, especially if you've got a good balance between your center of gravity and the center, overall center of pressure, and you can control that well in your platform as you go through the different phases of a turn, then you're going to have good tire wear. Yeah, that, I think that's pretty much it in, in that sense. It's the, a lot of it is that suspension geometry. Um, you you mentioned the comment of kind of firing the tires up and the kind of that one lap performance, and I think that's partially why we don't see Mercedes having as strong qualifying performances as they used to be now because they're not kind of getting into that kind of one lap window, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because the race performance is good. Whereas you obviously see Ferrari get into that kind of one lap pace and have significantly bad degradation um, in in a race situation, and it's obviously interesting to know that. Obviously, Haas is one of the worst cars on the grid with degradation, and they use the same suspension as Ferrari. So it kind of indicates that suspension is is obviously a, a, a kind of key part in that respect. And often in qualifying, it doesn't matter that like you push that tire just over that window because basically 70, 70 75% of the lap, you're in that window. The final 25%, you're over it. But it doesn't matter because you made up the time where you need to. Whereas in a race, if you're struggling in that respect, you're just going to kill them and eat the tires in there. So I think that's kind of what Mercedes have kind of looked at in that kind of suspension geometry there. Um, part of it will be their, their aero platform as well. As Matt said, sometimes like like Red Bull have obviously got peak downforce and they've obviously got a suspension that works. Mercedes are probably just lacking that little bit of downforce. And remember, downforce sometimes does two things. It obviously gives you that aspect to push the tire into a road, which potentially puts more energy into it, 
but it also prevents sliding of it. If you're kind of proper grip with the road, you're not sliding the tire, so you're getting the kind of mechanical grip from the tire that you want plus the aero grip, and you're not sliding it across. So that's where the downforce aspect comes in. It's, it's just getting that in that right window through each corners, and again through all the aspects of the corners. So you're looking at the high speed corners where you're potentially going to slide it the most but then the low speed corners is where you're probably going to get the traction issues but you want the car stuck you don't want it sliding out of there so it's just getting that balance across all the kind of corners and and i think mercedes have made comments this year numerous that they're much happier across the, the range of corners they're not they know they're not where they want to be uh, probably any of them but they're more happier in the balance of the car whereas in years gone by you'd like we mentioned earlier you'd go to mexico and it'd be nowhere is that the car would struggle you'd see it struggling at places like singapore you'd see it struggling at um budapest those aspects of it because it just had those characteristics whereas now i think the car's getting to that place where we've obviously seen with this latest upgrade for austin which is where they thought was the final weakest point with the kind of high speed s's change of directions they're now performing quite well and they're quite happy with the low and medium speed. So, and Mexico kind of gives you that indication that it's a lot of low and medium speed. It's low downforce by the nature of it, but it's the car still performing okay in that kind of race performance. So, I think it gives them a good platform to kind of build further on it. They just need to find that more, bit more downforce, but every other characteristic of the car looks a lot better. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed for that and um, a competitive 2024, I hope. So let's just bring this to, to, let's begin to bring this to a bit of an end then. So P6 for George, P2 for Lewis. Lewis obviously got the fastest lap at the end of the race um, on the very last lap. It does beg the question, do you think he could have pushed Max a little bit harder? No. Um, no, I mean, I'm going to touch on that. It's, it's, uh, he's, if he'd tried to push harder later on to kind of fight with Max, the tyres would have fallen off. He, he would have got into that position where it, it would have sat in and then Leclerc would have sat to build in. They did a managed race, which left him with enough tyres to give him that opportunity to go with a few switch changes to give him the optimum um, as deployment, um, et cetera, fuel deployment. Um, and the tyres in the right one. So you notice the lap he did before the um, before the last lap, he was about a second and a half slower on that one, just to kind of get again getting the tyres in the right window, getting the air storage up to give him allowing it to attack. If he'd pushed Max, I think again Max is probably doing a managed race where he's at. Unfortunately, that's the kind of pace they've had. If Lewis had pushed a bit harder, they'd have just cranked it up that little bit more. And I think Mercedes made exactly the right call. They know the race wasn't with Max. The race was with the Ferraris behind. And potentially Norris, if he hadn't had that disaster of a restart, um, he would have probably been up there as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's. I, I think they've done the right race. I, the race was never with Max on on Sunday, and uh, they've, they've managed it and done it correctly. Brilliant. And obviously we're off to Brazil next, into Lagos. A very good result for George there last year, Matt. Do you think there's a chance of Mercedes really competing for the win again? Well, there is always a chance. But as we like to say over here, sometimes your fate isn't in your own hands. And and what I would say is, I think I, I agree with Mike that the latest updates, the new floor, are working as well or better than they had hoped. I think they're getting performance out of the car that is on the far edge of what's possible given the essentially compromised nature of the platform they're working with, particularly at the back of the car. And uh, with the side impact spars, which are just in the entire wrong place for what yeah, they want to do yeah. with the side pods. But they're stuck with it because you can't rehomologate a whole chassis. Not going to make a joke about that. You just can't, re you can't, yeah, I, I was going to a very weird place in my head. It's been a long day. I apologize. Um, that said, yeah, I do think over the course of a race that podium positions are, are well within the possibility if they get, everything right and if the way the weather is favorable to their causes and then beyond that it's a question of what does red bull get wrong or does max finally have this the the bad luck that so far i mean like i know we saw leclerc in turn one and he 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 took perez out but 
if he was avoiding Perez, if you flip flop those positions and put Max on the outside, well, then that's, you know, now that is that is a Lewis Hamilton win this season now, isn't it? Because it would have been Max with the car damage. Although, if I'm being honest, pretty sure Max would not have made it three wide <laughs> into turn one. <laughs> I think, he, I think he has a little more perspective. He has less at stake in any individual race because he's already won all the things. Good. Well, hopefully things to look forward to in the future, for sure. Um, thank you so much, both of you, for joining. It's been really nice to chat. We could we could do even longer, but we've got to get this out ready for tomorrow morning. So um, let's leave it at that. But thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And that's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Matt and Mike for joining us. Their social media handles are, of course, in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MercF1Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review, share this episode with anybody who you think may enjoy it. And we will see you next week after Brazil. <laughs>